thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. Okay, brilliant. Excellent stuff. So, oh, if you're new with us, we've been uh, looking at a series going through Haggai and Zechariah, which has been called Prioritise, and hopefully over the last few weeks, it's all been about what we prioritise. And um, I don't know about you, but some things are very memorable because of the day. So you might say, on that day, you know. So anyone here, I'm, I'm not old enough, okay. But anyone here, any of those young people that are going to uh, Uganda, um, where were you when JFK was assassinated? Anyone? Can you remember? If you were, yeah, Jeff, can you remember? On the grassy knoll, was it? <laughs> on where, sorry? At your Nana's house in Manchester. Well, you're, you're obviously you've got an alibi, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't even a twinkle in my dad's eye, I don't think, at that point. Um, what about, you know, when Princess Diana died in Paris? You know, I can remember the day that was. It was a Sunday morning. Joel was a very little baby. It wasn't long after he'd been born. And it came on the radio. And it was like, I can remember where I was. My house at Shakespeare Street on that day. What about when all the royal weddings have happened? Yeah, anyone remember the coronation? (laughs) Okay, (laughs) let's not go there. But on that day, it can be about looking back. It can be about looking backwards and saying, well, on that day, I was here. On that day, I was there. But as we approach, and we are going to the very last chapter of Zechariah today, we've missed a chunk, but actually, I encourage you to read it and study it for yourself. We said we weren't going to go through the whole thing. But having encouraged the people in Haggai and Zechariah to rebuild the temple of God, to rebuild the place where God dwells, and to restore their relationship with God, this last chapter contains some forward looks for God's people. It's not on that day in the past. All right, guys, how are you doing? You all right? I've got some interlopers here. It's like being there. I feel I know what's there. Was it Jarvis Cocker? I know where on that day when Jarvis Cocker was on the Brit stage in front of Michael Jackson. It's like that, isn't it? It's <laughs> right, guys, you can take a drum upstairs if you want, and they can bang on it. It's fine. But this last chapter contains some look forwards, not on that day in the past, but Zechariah is encouraging his people on that day to come. On that day to come. So, Zechariah 14, we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at a couple of verses. We're not going to look at the whole thing. If you want more technical information, can I encourage you to either speak to Jeff Chad, who was at his nana's house when JFK was assassinated, or go on the church website where all the information and all the material from the Old to New course was, because that went through every book of the Old Testament in great detail. We haven't got time this morning to go through this chapter in huge detail. But as we look at the whole series we've done, some of the priorities were this, honour God. That means put God first. That was a priority. You might think it's simple, but we often forget. Another priority for us, if you're a Christian this morning, was be strong and don't be afraid. 
That is a priority. It's mentioned throughout the whole Bible. Be strong and don't be afraid. Return to God. Build on the right foundations with the right people. That is a biblical message. Build on the right foundations with the right people. Be restored. Return to God. Shout and rejoice in his presence. There's a priority. We've started our service this morning with praise for that reason, because it's a priority to shout and rejoice in his presence, to follow, to serve, to walk, to listen, to be honest and truthful and not self-sufficient, not always looking at yourself or pointing fingers at others. Sin has to go. That was the other priority. God doesn't like sin and it has to go. He wants us to deal with it, get rid of it. It has to go. That's just a sample of the things we've learned from looking at the books of Haggai and Zechariah. But the priority in the end is holiness, set apart, precious, special, reserved for him and him only. Now, as we look at chapter 14, which we'll come to in a moment, there's some quite graphic judgments for those that go against God, for those that go against what he desires, for those that go against what God wants in our lives. There's some pretty horrendous things that were happening, not necessarily because God has, has caused that for them, but actually they caused it for themselves. But God says this isn't good enough. Sin has to go. Do you know, verses 1 and 2 talk of opposition to God's people. And it says half of God's people get exiled and pillaged and, and the raping of women. It's quite horrific. And some of those things have already happened. Zechariah prophesied them and they have already happened in that city of Jerusalem. So they are things that have already been done on that day. But verse 3 says this. Verse 3 of Zechariah 14 says, Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. God will fight for us. That's encouraging, isn't it? God will fight for us. Sometimes we don't need to do it ourselves. God will fight for us. By our fruit we are known. There's another verse that has gone with me a lot. God will fight for us, no matter what others do or say. But verse 4 starts with this phrase that happens throughout chapter 14. And it's this phrase, on that day. When God fights for us, on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split. Sorry, it's gone now. <laughs> and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. So verse 4 starts the on that day and provides a way of escape. God provides a way of escape for people to run into. We used to sing that kid's song, didn't we? You know, the, way, the name of the Lord is a strong, strong tower. That's the one. The righteous run into it and they are saved. Woo! Okay, I can tell you're all excited, those of you that are saved. Okay, but the verse four here starts, the on that day phrases, the looking forwards. Now, I have got seven weddings this year that I've got to go to. I say, sorry, I've got seven weddings this year I'm going to, Okay. <laughs> That came out wrong, didn't it? I've already been to the first one. I've already been to the first one. The second one's not... In fact, the next three are fairly bang, 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 bang. I'm going to be all wedding doubt. 
you know? So if you see me in the middle of June, I'll be like halfway through, it'll be like someone halfway through the Keswick to Barrow. Oh, another wedding to come, another wedding to come. Sorry, Steve, that doesn't mean that July is not important. In August, I'll, anyone who's got a wedding, I'm looking forward to it, okay? And next year, my daughter Chloe gets married, May the 20th next year. Okay, I'm not gonna bang on, I'm not gonna bang on about it for the next 13 months, honestly. But on that day, I will be a blubbering mess. <laughs> I watched my brother-in-law give his daughter away the other week, and I tell you, I was thinking, I'm going to cry now, and I'm not that, you know, it's like, I will be a blubbering mess. I know it. Others will just enjoy the day. Some will have a responsibility. Some will just do it. But as I look forward, I can say, on that day, I already know stuff. Our house is already filling up with things for this wedding. And I'm like, we're going to have to get an extension just for wedding things. <laughs> Candles and lamps and place settings. And Chloe's now started buying furniture for her house that she won't have for whenever. <laughs> it's like, this is great. On that day, it will move out of my house and I'll be really grateful. <laughs> On that day. You know, most people will be blissfully unaware and just be going about life. But on that day, for me, it'll be precious. It'll be special. You know, I know all about cakes and dresses and rings and cutlery sets and venues and decorators and all things I never knew before and probably didn't want to know about. But God promises a day that is like no other. And I don't mean Chloe's wedding. God promised to us through this book of Zechariah and the whole of the Bible is a day like no other, a day to begin all days, a day that we will never experience, a day that is unique. Zechariah chapter 14, verses um, four to six, as I say, that verse we've just read, talks about this escape route. He'll stand on the Mount of Olives. Now, the Mount of Olives is only mentioned twice specifically in the Old Testament, but it occurs many times in Jesus' ministry. The Mount of Olives was always a place when it's mentioned where there's judgment or crisis. The Mount of Olives is always mentioned in a place of crisis or judgment. And Jesus himself stood on the Mount of Olives and wept over Jerusalem because he was so gutted for where they were going, so sad, so compassionate, so loving of what they were, but who they were becoming. He said they were going towards destruction. On the Mount of Olives, Jesus cursed a fig tree that was fruitless. He showed judgment there over Israel for their fruitlessness and their faithlessness. That was on the Mount of Olives. Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24 and Mark 13 of Jerusalem's destruction there. It was a place of judgment. The Garden of Gethsemane, we all know, where Jesus wept and, and had that prayer time and, and became willing to do what he did for us. Gethsemane is on the Mount of Olives. Moment of crisis. Jesus agonized. Judas betrayed him on the Mount of Olives. And here we see in Zechariah, this scene of crisis, he stands and gives a way to safety. He stands and gives a way to security. That is where the Mount of Olives come in in Zechariah. On that day, this day hasn't happened yet. On that day, Jesus himself will stand and provide the way from destruction, provide a way to life. Verse 6 on that day, there will be neither sunlight nor cold, frosty darkness. It will be a unique day, a day known only to the Lord, with no distinction between day and night. When the evening comes, there will be light. 
on that day, there will be no darkness. Now, you might think that's not a bad thing. You know, who loves the summer? Who loves the summer, okay? Parents with young children, do you love the summer evenings? Do you love the summer nights? Oh, some people are very, very confident there. What about the people that they, when they refuse to lie down and refuse to go to sleep because they say, it's not dark yet? At half past ten at night, who's had that experience? Yeah, 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 okay. So when you're a parent of young children, maybe the promise of a unique day where there's no darkness doesn't look good. Because maybe you're thinking, oh, my days, the kids aren't going to get to sleep. We won't care. Because... What the verse is saying is there'll be no darkness. In other words, there'll be no fear. Darkness brings fear. Darkness brings hidden secrets. Darkness brings uh, subterfuge. Darkness covers up all multitudes of things. Darkness is a source of fear. It's a source of doubt. It's a source of uncertainty. And it's a source of hidden activity. And Zechariah says, on that day, there'll be no more. It will be unique. There'll be no more fear. There'll be no more doubt. There'll be no more hidden secret things to attack you. There'll be no more uncertainty. On that day, it will be light. But interestingly enough, it's not sunlight. Because it actually says, doesn't it, in those verses, it says, there will not be neither sunlight nor cold. Well, where's the light coming from? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Zechariah 14, verse 8, going on. There's a lot to get through, so I'm powering through today. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 8 says, On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it to the east, half of it to the Dead Sea, and half of it west to the Mediterranean Sea, in summer and in winter. First of all, the only two seasons recognised by the Israelites was summer and winter, so don't get confused. Okay, They didn't have the Four Seasons Hotel. That's where there was no room for Joseph and Mary. Um, they only had the Two Seasons Hotel. Okay, so summer and winter. On that day, there will be living water. Does that remind you of anything? On that day, there will be living water. John chapter 4, verses 13 to 14 says, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Living water, Jesus. Then in Revelation chapter 21, when everything is finished and the new heaven and the new earth is here, Revelation chapter 21, verses 6 to 7, the Jesus in it says to John, he said to me, it is done, finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit, inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. Zechariah says, on that day, there'll be a spring of living water that will never run dry, that will, that will quench your thirst, that will provide your need, that will be sufficient for all you want, which will give you what you require. Jesus says, Come to me, I'm the water of life. Come to me, I'll give you all that you require. Revelation at the end of all things says, there's a spring of living water, come to it. And it'll be there to quench your thirst. Nobody will be thirsty. Living water, Zechariah sees way ahead of his time. Living water in every season, flowing, moving in all seasons. We'll come back to the water part in a moment. 
Zechariah 14 verse 9 says this. The Lord will be king. Interestingly, we've got rid of the graffiti off the two front doors. Thanks, Kev. Good job. It'll probably come back, but we'll, we were not going to beat him. But on the back wall, there's some graffiti on the back wall. Do you know what it says? King with a crown. Isn't that great? <laughs> Isn't that great? King. On that day, there will be one Lord, and his name, the only name. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day. There's going to be a king. In Zechariah and Haggai, we've seen a, a ruler and we've seen a, pro, a priest. Two separate people. Jesus came to restore both in the same person, prophet, priest, and king. And now, in that day, he will reign. He will rule. And every knee will bow. It says every knee will bow. Those that don't want to and those that do. Every knee will bow. On that day, there'll be one king, one Lord, one name. And we've sung it this morning. What name is that? Jesus. What name? Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says this, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. I think that verse spells it out pretty clearly. There is no other name than Jesus. On that day, there will be victory, there will be salvation, there will be one God over all heaven and earth. And then it goes on towards the end of the chapter, Zechariah chapter 14 and verses 16 to 19 says this. Then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem, that's those that have opposed God, the survivors, the ones who have survived that, will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the festival of tabernacles. Remember that. If any of the peoples of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, they will have no rain. If the Egyptian people do not go up and take part, they will have no rain. The Lord will bring on them the plague and fix on the nations that do not go up to celebrate the festival of tabernacles. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that do not go up to celebrate the festival of tabernacles. Now, that sounds really harsh. It sounds very confusing to us. But what that verse is saying is, these people have seen God in all his glory. They've seen the king. That's the prophecy. They've seen the one Lord. They've seen this unique day. They've seen this glory. And still they refuse to bow the knee. Still they refuse to go, do you know what? It's all about him and not about me. And as a result, the water dries up. That's what it's saying. The water dries up. And actually, if the water is from God, then that's fair. If we spend all our time going, I don't want anything to do with God, and actually, do you know what? I'm going to go my own way. Then the water you're looking for is not the water that God's providing. And the water will dry up. You know, Zechariah prophesies of everybody celebrating this feast. He mentions it several times in there. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, bear with me. If you're fairly new to church, I know there's a little complexities in this. But the Feast of Tabernacles is also called the Feast, the feast of Booths in some translations. So why the Feast of Booths? It's not the supermarket in Ulverston, okay, or, or anything else. The Feast of Booths. Feast of Tabernacles. So like a booth, you know, like a toll booth, yeah, okay. Um, anything else? Could I clear up? <laughs> we love you, Steph. It's all right. So the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. Why is it so important? Why does Zechariah mention it? I think that's an important question to ask, isn't it? When you read this passage, you go, he mentions it a couple of times. There's got to be something in this. And there is. Anyone, put your hand up if you know lots about the Feast of Tabernacles. No? A little bit? Good. Well, we're going to learn something together today, aren't we? So, 
Firstly, the Feast of Tabernacles had the greatest number of sacrifices. Okay? It had the biggest possible sacrifice. Right? Remember that. Secondly, the Feast of Tabernacles was the most rowdy and joyful, the most celebratory of all the feasts. Remember that. Okay? Thirdly, well actually, when we think of celebration and rowdiness, let's think African, not English. Okay? Yeah? You with me, guys? Uche? Yeah? Okay, feel free to get rowdy. Okay? The Feast of Tabernacles was rowdy and joyful. It required sacrifice. It was the longest feast lasting for the greatest amount of time. Okay? You with me so far? It was a thanksgiving after harvest. So in other words, it was a thankfulness for provision. Okay? Final fact, final fun fact about this feast. There you go, that's hard to say. The last day of the feast included water offerings that were required as a request for salvation. Okay, I'll say that again. The final day of the feast required water offerings that were required as a request for salvation. Okay, quick four bullet points. First thing, it had the biggest sacrifice. Second thing, it was the most rowdy, joyful, and celebratory. Third thing, it lasted for the longest time, and f- f- it was Thanksgiving for provision. <laughs> I need to get my teeth in. It was Thanksgiving for provision, and it included water offerings that were required as a request for salvation. Have you got that? We're going to turn to John chapter 7. Okay? We're going to turn to John chapter 7. We're going to look at a few verses in John chapter 7, which is why I've gone so quick, because I can finish this in 10 minutes. No pressure. John chapter 7, verses 1 to 9 say this, okay? After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles, okay, mentioned it already, was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one wants to become a public figure. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus told them, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I am not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. So people are putting pressure on Jesus and saying, Jesus, you're amazing. Look at all these things you do. Look at all these things you say. Come to this feast that's the most rowdy, the longest, the most celebratory, so everybody can see and hear from you, so that everybody knows who you are. And Jesus goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's not my time yet. Another time he said that was when Mary said to him, can you provide something for this feast? Can you provide the wine for the feast? Quick little sidetrack. It was the groom's responsibility to provide the wine at the feast. Jesus said, it's not my time yet. He wasn't being rude. He just said, my time hasn't come to provide the wine for the feast. In other words, my time hasn't come to die so that you can take that wine to remember me in that feast. Okay? Jesus said, my time's not yet. I don't want to show myself because if I do, they're going to kill me and they're going to get me before my time. However, it wasn't time, Jesus said, for the largest of sacrifices. It wasn't time for the greatest of celebrations. 
it wasn't time for the amount of thanksgiving for the provision that was Jesus. It wasn't time for that longest eternal celebration. But he then goes in stealth mode. Okay, chapter 7, verse 10 says this. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. I wonder if he did the old Clark Kent thing, you know? <laughs> Put a pair of glasses on, no one knew it was him. You know, amazing. I wonder if he did that. He went in stealth mode. But if you read on, halfway through the festival, he starts to step up and teach. Halfway through the festival, he starts to step up and teach. Let's jump ahead in this chapter. John chapter 7, verse 37 to 38 says this. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. What day of the feast was this? The last day of the feasts. What happened on the last day of the feasts? A water offering that was required to request salvation. Jesus stands up on that day and says, let anyone who's thirsty come to me. Wow. That's amazing. That is incredible. Jesus knows. And he says, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. This is the promise. Rivers of living water flowing through us because Jesus, by his spirit, lives in us. Doesn't need requesting again and again and again. We request it and he brings it. On that day, everyone that is left will be invited to celebrate. What will they be invited to celebrate? The greatest sacrifice. The one that is the most celebratory the one that provides salvation, the one that gives water of life. Zechariah looks towards it. How exciting is that? Some of you are thinking, you're not as excited as me, I can tell. Do you know, Jesus confirmed it and John in Revelation looked ahead for us to do it too. I'm struggling today. Don't know what it is. Anyway, sleep, probably, yeah. Zechariah chapter 14, 20 to 21, to finish this chapter, says this. On that day, holy to the Lord. Do you remember that phrase? Where have we seen that phrase in this series? Come on. I'm going to ask Jeff Chad in a minute, because you know, he's been listening the most carefully, obviously, haven't you, Jeff? Because that's what he does. On that day, holy to the Lord. Can you remember? When the priest was given a new turban, and a gold plate was put on it, and the gold plate was inscribed with holy to the Lord because the representation was of Jesus to people, wasn't it? It was of God to people in that situation. Holy to the Lord meant this was the priest. This is the person who is my representative from God. Okay? On that day, holy to the Lord will be inscribed on the bells of the horses and the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like sacred bowls in front of the altar. Every pot in Jerusalem and Judah will be holy to the Lord Almighty. And all who come to sacrifice will take some of the pots and cook in them. And on that day, there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord Almighty. Holy to the Lord showed the priest to be precious and set apart. It showed that the priest was useful. It showed that the priest was used by God. Zechariah says, on that day, the ordinary 
will become extraordinary. The ordinary, the pots that are used for cooking, the bells around the horses' necks, they will have this written on them. And do you know that's a prophecy of you? If you this morning are followers of Jesus, then he has written on your heart, holy to the Lord. Holy to the Lord. Why? Because you are precious. You are set apart. You are of use. You are special and you are honoured by him. Here, on that day, the ordinary will be made extraordinary. Yeah, the word extra is interesting, isn't it? Tesco extra means bigger and better choices. Tesco Express, no thanks. (laughs) And there are other shops available, got to say that. Tesco Extra, extra value you see on things, don't you? Extra special, extra makes the difference. Well, in this situation, the the word adds exactly what it says, that the ordinary is made extraordinary by God, by the sacrifice, by the living water, by the one who is, we want to be rowdy and celebratory with. Holy, precious, of great use and service. If you're sitting here this morning and going, I am useless, God says you're not. Because he says, if you're, if you're his this morning, he's written on you, holy to the Lord. Just like that cooking pot. It's useful for its purpose. This priority in this passage is about a purpose found, a holiness restored. Our priority is to do what we can to be set apart for him, to be used by him. And it starts with him writing his name on you. Just like Andy in Toy Story writes his name on Woody's foot. God has written his name on your heart. Nobody can erase that. If it was written on your foot, it comes off after a few washes. But if it's written on your heart, nobody can erase that. Just a quick side note, it says no Canaanite will be there. Canaanite in their culture just stood for anybody who was morally and spiritually unclean. That's what it meant. So in that day, we'll be cleaned up if we're his. As we end this series, we do so by looking to that day when the celebration will be the biggest when the celebration will be the rowdiest. Why? Because of the greatest sacrifice that was ever made. Because what we were is not what we are. Because what we were is not what we are. That he will provide the water that comes with salvation on that day. Are you looking forward to it? Maybe today you're still not sure. Maybe today, just like some of you are blissfully unaware of my daughter's wedding, Maybe some of us are blissfully unaware of the promise of God, of the love that he has for you, of his desire for you to come. Jesus said it himself, all who are thirsty, I'll provide. I'll provide what you need. I'll quench that need. I'll quench your thirst. Come, all, all, all. Do you know the word all includes you, not the letter, but you, the person, all. Come to me, all who are thirsty. Are you looking forward to it on that day? Maybe you've not given it any thought. Or are you not looking towards a day when there will be one Lord and one God who reigns? That's the question all of us have got to answer. If not, why not? If not now, when? (laughs) But on that day, there will be celebration. 
Let's pray.